Lesson number 96, Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number 169 to 187. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. Fakhalafa, then he succeeded. Min ba'dihim, after them, khalfun, successors. Warithu, they inherited, al-kitaba, the book. But, ya'khuduna, they take, arada, commodities. Hatha of this al-adna the lower and in brackets life or worldly life. Wayakuluna and they say Sayugfaru soon it will be forgiven Lana for us. Wa in and if Yatihim it comes to them Aradun commodities Mithluhu like it Yakhuduhu they take it. In the previous ayat we learned about who? The Bani Israel. That how, because of their sins, because of their repeated transgression, what happened? Every now and then, they were punished. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that He has tested them, He will continue to test them through good things and also through bad things. Meaning, there will be good times and also bad times. And basically, the previous verses, they were talking about the early generations of the Bani Israel. So soon after, they were rescued by Musa alayhi salam, the book was given to them. The early generations, their faults, their sins were mentioned. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that after them came their successors. And how were their successors? Much worse than their predecessors. Notice the word khalafa. Khalafa min ba'dihim khalfun. From the root letters khalamfa. And it basically means to succeed someone, to come after someone. So after the early generations, the later generations that came, what's the word that is used for them? Khalfun. Now the word khalf is used for a generation, basically successors, who have succeeded someone in something bad. Like for example, the early generations of Bani Israel. It was a mix of people. There were righteous people and there were also unrighteous people amongst them. There were those who worshipped the calf from them and there were also those from them who did not worship the calf. In fact, 70 of them were taken to the mountain with Musa salam to apologize to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many of us had that opportunity or can ever have that opportunity to speak to Allah? How many? Not possible. But imagine that the early generations of the Bani Israel, they were a mix. Righteous and unrighteous. However, those who came later on, they were mainly what? Unrighteous. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the word khalf for them. It's like there is a thief, and his child, his son, becomes a thief also. Now that person, the father thief, was he only a thief? Or did he have some other good qualities as well? He must have had some other good qualities also. But the son picked up on what? Only the bad habits. So basically over here, the deteriorating condition of the Bani Israel has been mentioned. That how over the generations, their iman, their faith, their honesty, their good values and morals, they only deteriorated. فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ وَرِثُ الْكِتَابَ They inherited the book. And over here we need to reflect on ourselves. Many people they say, yeah my mom, she prays tahajjud. 
Or many people you'll hear about them, that they're talking about their grandparents, that my grandfather was a hafiz, and my grandmother, she used to wear a jilbab. And my grandparents, they used to give a lot of charity. Have you heard of these stories? Have you experienced them yourself? That you feel that your parents are more righteous than you are? Or that you heard that our grandparents, our ancestors, they were very pious people. And what has happened today to our words, to our habits, to our dress? Has it deteriorated or has it improved? Has it deteriorated or has it improved? When it comes to worldly matters, we always say, my mother never got to go to university, so I am definitely going to go. My father could not have a successful business, so I am going to make sure that I have a successful business. My father always wanted to do this, so I better do this. I am definitely going to do this. We don't say that, yeah, my parents, they used to live in a one-bedroom house, two-bedroom house, so we're also fine with the two-bedroom house. Never. When it comes to worldly matters, we always want to be better compared to our parents, compared to our grandparents. But when it comes to religious matters, unfortunately, what is our state today? That we are content with less commitment to religion. And this is not being praised over here. This is being criticized over here. فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ وَرِثُ الْكِتَابَ They inherited the book. Meaning, the later generations did receive the book from the early generations. They learned it. They understood it. They knew the law. It wasn't that they were ignorant. But despite that knowledge, what happened to their actions? They were completely different. And if you think about it, the Muslim ummah also. Perhaps at the time of the Sahaba, at the time of the Tabi'een, at the time of the Taba' Tabi'een, so much knowledge was not that common. In the sense that we don't hear the Prophet ﷺ lecturing people, teaching people the matters of the deen every day for two hours, every day for five hours. There was no Islamic courses. There were no year-long programs in which the Sahaba would come and graduate or the Tabar Tabreen would come and graduate. No. In fact, the first compilation of hadith was much after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning a written compilation in a book form. But we see that more knowledge is present today. Isn't that so? You can have an app on your phone and everything, all the major texts of Islam, you could have them on your phone literally. One website you go to, bahith.com, you put one Arabic word, it'll give you the meaning of that word from all the classical dictionaries. Did this much information exist back then? No. And even if it existed, was it accessible to everyone? No. But what do we see? Their actions were far better compared to ours. We have all the knowledge. However, our actions are very different. And this is exactly what happened to the Bani Israel. What happened to them? They had the book. They knew the book. They had all the knowledge. But, يَأْخُذُونَ They take عَرَضَ عَرَض From the root letters, عَيْن رَضَاد And عَرَض basically means the things of this world. And something that does not have permanence. Meaning something that is not going to last forever. It's not going to last for a very long time. And basically everything of this world is what? Arad. 
Every single object in this dunya is what? Arad. Why? Because it's not going to last forever. Even something that has a hundred year warranty, it's only going to remain for so many years. It's not going to remain forever. Eventually everything of this world is going to deteriorate. It's going to be ruined. So their focus is on what? Taking the arad of هَذَا adana. Hada of this al adana the lower life. Al adana is from the root letters dal noon wow from the word dunub and dunub means near. So adana nearer, meaning this life which is nearer compared to the afterlife. Their focus is on what? Collecting the goods of this nearer life. The word adna is also from the root letters dal, nun, hamza, dani. And dani means that which is low, that which is insignificant and cheap, not worth much. And the life of this world is lower compared to the life of the hereafter. How is it lower? How is it lesser? Because of all these problems that exist in this world. Akhirah, jannah, is problem free. Problem free. You know, the other day, I was trying to explain to my son about Jannah. He loves to drink juice. I can't eat it. He loves to drink juice. But what he hates is going to the washroom. Of course. Every child dislikes that. Why? Because they love to play. They're just so busy with their toys. They don't want to take a break and go to the washroom. So many times I have to tell him, don't drink too much. Otherwise, you'll have to go. So I was telling him the other day, you know, in Jannah, you can drink as much as you want. You'll never have to go to the washroom. And he was like, wow. So these little, little problems, okay, little problems, they make our life miserable. They make this worldly life low and less. And the akhirah, jannah is problem free. Problem free. So this dunya, hadal adna, the people of the book, what happened to them? They had all the knowledge. Instead of aiming for the akhirah, what were they doing? Taking the goods, the commodities of this low life, of this cheap and insignificant world. This dunya became their aim, and the akhirah, they forgot. Now, remember that the early generations, the first generation, the early generations, who accompany the Prophet, okay, any Prophet of Allah, what happens with them is that they take their religion much more seriously. Why? Because they have sacrificed their lives, their properties for it. This is why, even if they don't have a lot of things accessible to them, their actions are much better. Their sacrifice, their commitment, their sincerity is far greater. And we see that over time, the people, they decline in their commitment, in their faith, in their fear of God, in everything, they decline. And this is not just true with regards to the prophets of Allah and the nations of those prophets, but anything of this world. If you think about it, the person who started a business, he looks after that building, that business, the way the people who will come after them will not do so. Isn't that so? Like I know of someone who had their business years and years and years ago, and it was so successful, they even purchased a building, and a lot of contracts, a lot of profit, 
But what happened? This person, their son inherited everything. And their son never completed school. Okay? And now that they own that business, they run that business, that business is basically declining every day. Why? Because they got everything for free. They didn't have to put in any effort to get it. So the same thing happens with the deen also. The people who have sacrificed with the Prophet, their level of commitment is much greater compared to the people who come later on. Now this doesn't mean that we say, oh we've come later so too bad. No, we can also have that same kind if we actually hold on to the book and we implement it. Because there are people who came years and years and years after the Prophet ﷺ, but the kind of actions they did, the kind of iman that they had, it's worth mentioning. It's worth praising. So over here we see that the first generations, they used the deen, the religion of Allah, to make their akhirah. And the later generations, what did they do? They gave up the deen, and their focus became the dunya. Their focus became this world. And if they ever followed the deen properly, if they ever associated themselves with their religion, that was also for what purpose? For worldly benefits. How? It is mentioned over here. That, وَيَقُولُونَ And they say, سَيُغْفَرُ لَنَا We will be forgiven. Inshallah, we'll be forgiven. Why? Because we're believers, we're the people of the book, so Allah will forgive us. وَإِيَّتِهِمْ And if it comes to them, عَرَضٌ Some commodities, مِثْلُهُ Like it, meaning another chance, يَأْخُذُهُ They take it. Basically, what is being mentioned over here is, the bribes that the scholars, the judges of the Bani Israel would take. The bribes that they would take in order to change the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what would they do? Basically, they're using their religion to make what? Money. They're saying, Come, I'll give you a religious verdict that will show you before people as someone who is observing the religion, but you have to pay me this much money. You have to promote me in this and this. Okay? So then I will give you this fatwa, I will give you this legal ruling, and everybody will be happy. So basically, what were they doing? Using the deen by taking bribes in order to make their dunya. And what would they say? It's okay, we'll be forgiven. But Allah says, if another opportunity comes to them, meaning someone else comes asking them to change the law for them in exchange for a bribe, what do they do? يَأْخُذُوهُ They take it. Meaning, they are hopeful of forgiveness while committing the same sin again and again and again. You see, if you make a mistake, even if it's a major mistake, and later on you feel regret and you say, I have repented from this and I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive me. Then there is a chance that Allah will forgive you. A high chance, provided that you are regretful. You have done tawbah. But if you are repeating the same mistake again, and again, and again, and you say, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, I hope Allah will forgive me. That's like mocking at the religion. Isn't it so? That's mocking at the religion. Who? Whose repentance is accepted? Who will Allah forgive? The one who leaves the sin and promises never to go back to it again. But if a person keeps going back deliberately, deliberately, and he says, it's okay, Allah will forgive. It's okay, Allah will forgive. Then for such a person, there is no forgiveness because he is basically playing with the 
religion of Allah. And also, the scholars of tafsir, they said, that every time the children of Israel appointed a judge, he used to take bribes. This was a habit of their judges. They would take bribes. The best ones among them would hold a council, meaning they would discuss amongst themselves, and they would make each other promise that if and when you get to that position, you become a judge, if Allah makes you a judge, promise that you will never take bribes. So this is what the rest of the scholars would do. They would promise that they would never take any bribe if they were to ever get there, get that position of a judge. But what would happen? If one of the judges, he would die, all right, or he was replaced by someone, then that person, when he would take that position, he would do the exact same thing. He would do the exact same thing, meaning he would also take bribes. Whereas a couple of years ago, what did he do? He took a promise. If I become a judge, I will never take any bribes. But when he would become a judge, what would he do? Take bribes. So Allah says over here that وَإِن يَأْتِهِمْ عَرَضٌ مِثْلُهُ يَأْخُذُهُ They take it. It's like many times what happens is that people, they criticize those in authority. They criticize people of knowledge, the scholars and the teachers. And what do they say? That, you know what, if I ever get that position, if I ever get there, I would never do what this person is doing. But what happens when they get to that position? They're doing the exact same things, the same mistakes that the people before them were making. So, وَإِن يَأْتِهِمْ عَرَضٌ مِثْلُهُ يَأْخُذُهُ They take it. Allah says, Alam did not yuqad, it was taken alayhim on them, meaning was it not taken from them? What? Mithaqu the covenant, al kitab of the book, meaning was a covenant not taken from them before in the book. Allah yaqulu that they will not say Allah upon Allah illa al haq except the truth. Meaning here they are breaking the covenants that they made with one another. But they have also taken a covenant with Allah. And what is that covenant? That they will only speak the truth. They will only say about Allah what is the truth. And what is the truth? What Allah has revealed. So if a person is changing the law of Allah in order to take some bribe, in order to take some worldly benefit, what is he doing? He's lying about Allah. So here we see two mistakes are happening. A, they're breaking the covenants that they've made with people with other scholars, with other judges. And secondly, they're breaking the promise that they made with Allah. وَدَّرَسُوا مَا فِيهِ And they have studied what is in it. Meaning, they have studied the book. These people are not ignorant of the religion of Allah. They know it very well. They're very well versed in it. But still, they are lying about Allah. They're changing the laws of Allah. They're misrepresenting the religion, sugarcoating it. Why? Just for the sake of worldly benefits. Just for the sake of acceptance, for money, for promotion. وَالدَّارُ الْآخِرَةِ Allah advises that the home of the hereafter, it is khayrun, it is better. لِلَّذِينَ يَتَّقُونَ For those who adopt taqwa, أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ Then will you not understand? Because you see, when a person is in that position, being a judge, and somebody offers you $50,000, somebody offers you $100,000, and they say, please make sure that I am proven innocent. Make sure that I am not punished. I'll give you $100,000. Now that $100,000 is very, very tempting. It is very tempting. Especially when 
you like it, you want it, you're in need of it, and you know that you have the ability to change the law or misrepresent it in order to prove this criminal innocent. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala advises over here that why do you go for this lowly life's benefits? If somebody offers you a hundred thousand dollars also, what will happen? It's arad. Eventually what will happen to that money? What will happen? It'll finish. It'll end. But if you hold on to the truth, if you don't change the law of Allah, then what will happen? The home of the hereafter is much better. So don't you understand? One is the benefit of the dunya. The other is the benefit of the akhirah. And many times it happens that we have to choose between the two. The Prophet ﷺ said that whoever strives for the dunya, then his akhirah will suffer. And whoever strives for the akhirah, then his dunya will suffer. So you have one of these two options. It's up to you. What do you take? Allah will not force it on you. You have to make that decision. But remember, dunya is adna. And akhirah is khair. But it's for who? Those who fear Allah. وَالَّذِينَ And those who يُمَسِّكُونَ They hold fast to بِالْكِتَابِ With the book. They hold fast to the book. يُمَسِّكُونَ From Mim Sin Kaf. What does imsak mean? To hold on to something, to not let it go. Remember the verses of divorce? Where men are given the option that either imsakum بِمَعْرُوف أو تَسْرِيحٌ بِإِحْسَانٌ That when divorce has been pronounced twice, then you have one last chance. Either you Hold on, meaning you keep the wife with ma'roof or you let her go with ihsan. So imsak, what does it mean? To hold on to something and not let it go. But look at the word here, yumassikuna. When you hear this word, yumassikuna, what does that show? What does that show? A lot of intensity and there's a lot of emphasis. So you must see kuna. They're not just holding the book. They're grabbing the book. They're holding on to it. They do not let it go. They hold fast to it. So it's basically to hold on fast to something and guard it. Not let it go. Like for example, if you're holding a baby. If you're holding a baby, then how do you hold the baby? Just casually with one arm. And yeah, it doesn't matter if the baby's head is knocking into the wall and you know bumping into someone. Yeah? Is that how we hold the baby? And oops, I dropped the baby. Yeah? Never. You know, there are people who will instruct you. Put your hand under the neck. Look, the head is hanging. Make sure you hold the baby properly. Make sure that the baby's back is straight. Hold with this hand and hold with the other arm. And do this and do that. This is what you must say kuna means. So those who you must see bil kitab, who hold on to not just babies, but what? The book. Has it ever happened with you that you're holding a baby? And perhaps it's your baby. And somebody else wants to hold a baby. And they're like, no, my baby. I'm not giving him to anybody. And people are waiting sometimes in a line, literally. People want to hold the baby. They're like, no, my baby. Nobody can take my baby away from me. So there's some people who love their babies so much that they just hold on to their babies. And eventually what happens? That baby doesn't want to stay in your lap anymore. He says, let me go, let me run. And there are others who hold on to the book. You must sikuna bil kitab. Who don't leave it, who don't put it down. What does it mean by that? 
that they learn it and they don't forget it. They memorize it and then they revise it. They study it and they understand it well. They're holding on to the book. They act on it. Not for two days, not for the weekend, but throughout the week, يُمَسِّكُونَ بِالْكِتَابِ And what's the sign of a person holding on to the book? وَأَقَامُ الصَّلَاةَ And they establish the prayer. Because the salah of a person, what does that show? His level of iman. Your salah will tell you the level of your faith. It will tell you the level of your commitment with the religion of Allah. If your salah is declining, in the sense that you're just rushing through it, you don't feel like praying. And when you pray, you don't feel like saying your sunnah. And if you are praying, then you just want to say salam quickly and go and do whatever you want to. You're rushing through the prayers, basically just checking them off the list. Then that shows that there is a problem with the iman. There is a problem with commitment with the book. Because it is not possible that a person has love for Allah in their heart. They are reading the book of Allah, reflecting on the kitab of Allah, and then when it comes time to pray, they don't feel like praying. Not possible. Iman, yaqeen, they lead to amal. Amal. And what's the first amal that we have to do when we get up in the morning? Salah. So, يُمَسِّكُونَ بِالْكِتَابِ وَأَقَامُ الصَّلَىٰ Allah says, إِنَّا Indeed we, لَا نُضِيعُ We do not waste أَجْرَ The reward المصلحين, Of those who reform. Reform who? Themselves and others. Because true islah, how is it done? With the book of Allah. With the book of Allah. So there are some people who change the book, who leave the book. Why? For worldly benefits. And there are others who hold on to the book. They're very strict about it in the sense that they don't take the matter of kitabullah lightly. They give it a lot of importance. You must sikuna bil kitab. Then such people are the ones who will be doing islah of themselves and of others. So such, Allah will not waste their reward. So two ways are mentioned here. One, of those who have the book, but their amal very different. The other way is of those who have the book and who hold on to the book. And their amal is also strong. وَإِذْ and when نَتَقُنَا We raised الْجَبَلَ The mountain فَوْقَهُمْ Above them. Remember that when Musa salam he brought the book, then what had happened? The Bani Israel had been worshipping the calf. Remember? And when he brought the book, the Torah, the Alwah, he was so angry when he saw the people worshipping the calf. In that anger, he put the Alwah down. Right? And eventually, what happened that those who had to be punished from amongst them, they were punished. And afterwards, when Musa salam picked up the alwah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that in that was huda, guidance and mercy. Now when he told the people that he had brought the book from Allah, remember that there was some hesitation on the part of Bani Israel. They didn't want to accept it. They said, we don't want to know. We don't want to follow. We don't want to accept this. Like many people, what do they say? I don't want to study the Qur'an because if I study it, I have to follow it. Hmm? I don't want to learn because if I learn, then I'll have to do it. I'll have to become religious and I don't want to become religious. I'll have to become more pious. I'll have to pray properly. And I don't want to do that. So I'm happy the way I am. Has this thought ever come to your mind? I know you won't say it. 
But you can answer yourself in your heart that maybe somebody used to tell you, come, let's go for the Qur'an class. Come, let's study this. Maybe as children, our parents used to teach us du'as and we're like, no, I don't want to learn. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. So the Bani Israel, they did the same thing. They didn't want to accept the book. They were hesitant. So what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the mountain to lift up and He suspended it over them. That believe and accept this book or else you're done. You're finished. We didn't save you so that you follow your desires. We didn't rescue you from Fir'aun so that you chase this world. We rescued you for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To follow the book and to tell people who are dying every day, going straight to hellfire, warn those people. Your duty as a Muslim is what? To live by the book and to tell other people about the book as well. So when they refused, what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the mountain to be lifted over them. Either believe, accept, or khalas. This is over. And the word that has been used over here is nataqna from noon taqaf, nataq. And nataqa is basically to shake something, move it violently, pull it out, so that it becomes feeble and weak. So basically that's what happened with the mountain. Because remember that mountains are like pegs of the earth. They're deeply rooted. So that mountain, whichever one it was, it was wrenched out, unearthed from where it was standing, and it was lifted over them. Just imagine all the movement, and the blasting sounds, and the smoke, and everything that was present at that time. So, وَإِذْ نَتَّقْنَ الْجَبَلَ فَوْقَهُمْ Above them. كَأَنَّهُ As if it was ظُلَّةً A dark cloud or a canopy. The word ظُلَّةً is from the root letters. ظَ لَام لَام ظِل means shadow. So ظُلَّةً is something that gives shadow. It's also used for a dark cloud because a dark cloud gives shadow. So as if it was a dark cloud, a canopy over their heads, was ظَنُّوا And they were certain, أَنَّهُ That indeed it وَاقِعٌ One to fall, بِهِمْ With them, meaning over them. They were certain that that's it, this mountain is going to fall on us and we are done. We are finished. Imagine if we're in such a state. Imagine if someone points a gun at you. Literally, points a gun at you and says, if you don't do this, I'm going to shoot you. And you're like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Instantly, you're like, take anything you want. Ask me anything, I'll give you, but just leave me. Spare my life. Gunpoint, basically. Alright? So what happened over here? They were certain that they were going to be done with. They were going to finish. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to them, خُذُوا Take ما آتَيْنَاكُمْ Whatever we are giving you, بِقُوَّةٍ With strength. This book that we're giving you, Hold it with strength. What kind of attitude do you have? That you're not even reading the book? You don't even want to acknowledge it? You don't even want to look at it? You don't even want to learn what I have sent to you? خُذُوا مَا آتَيْنَاكُمْ وَاذْكُرُوا مَا فِيهِ And remember, learn what is in it. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you can have taqwa. So basically we see that they were made to accept it by force. Because otherwise, they were not willing to accept it. Now does this mean that it wasn't fair? If you think about it, this was mercy on the Bani Israel. Because sometimes we are forced into certain situations. That we are given an ultimatum. Either you do this or finished. Then what happens? 
basically it is a chance that we are being given another chance that we are being given that despite our previous shortcomings and our hesitation in the past we are being given another chance that do this now or never so if you take advantage of that opportunity and you do it that chance was actually mercy for you it was actually good for you isn't it so like for example if a person is told either you respect your wife or that's it don't come to this house again imagine if the girl's father comes and he says either you respect her apologize to her or that's it i'm not going to accept this anymore i'm going to call the police right away and you're done you cannot come in this house at all so if that guy goes and apologizes to the wife okay then wasn't that good for his marriage because his marriage was saved and if the father didn't even give him that chance he's ringing the bell no answer he's calling no answer and he's just sent the divorce papers in mail for instance then is that was that mercy was that mercy no so we might think like wow that's not fair why is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forcing them they don't want to take it well you know what the other option was what the destruction they would be finished so the thing is that there are some people who don't work with leniency if you're lenient with them they're not going to respond they're not going to do what they're supposed to only when you're very very strict with them and to the point of being harsh with them then they will listen is that so any mothers here you have sons maybe teenage kids right and you tell them get up and do this and what do they say nothing they're just quiet it's like as if they haven't heard a word so what happens eventually the mother is screaming at the top of her voice you better get up or i'm going to take your phone away you better get up or no money for you this week you better get up or i'm going to do this i'm going to do that like this friend of mine what happened with her brother he had a habit of playing basketball in the house okay in the house and imagine you know people who love basketball they're like always bouncing their balls everywhere so he did the same thing and his mother you know she's got crystals everywhere and glass tables and she's so so particular so she kept telling him don't do this don't do this and then eventually what happened she just took the ball and threw it out the window they lived in an apartment okay so she just took the ball and threw it out the window and the poor kid is just standing there in shock what just happened so sometimes we become like this that people are telling us warning us reminding us but we're not listening and then we're given an ultimatum you better do this or you cannot continue in this course and we're like huh why are you being like this with me why are you being so harsh shouldn't you be very gentle and lenient with the students of knowledge people who come to study the quran hmm but the thing is that sometimes it's the harshness and strictness and firmness of other people that in reality is mercy for us mercy for us like for example a person is working somewhere and they're told come you have to arrive by this time and they're coming 5 minutes late 10 minutes late and if those 5 minutes 10 minutes are added every day every day and at the end that time is calculated and based on that some money is not given to them their pay is cut then what will happen next time they want to be lazy they'll come quickly isn't it so so likewise allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was strict with the bani israel and he said khudhu ma atainakum biquwwah and here we need to look at ourselves 
that what is our attitude with the Qur'an? Are we waiting for a mountain to be suspended over us and then we're going to learn our lesson? And then we're going to open our mouth and recite the Qur'an in the recitation class? What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for somebody to humiliate us? For somebody to cut off our marks? Why? Why wait for these things? This is the kalam of your Lord. This is the kalam of Allah. This is Allah's message to you. His message to you. Why not read it? Why not learn it? Why not understand it? Why not recite it? What is holding us back? This is also part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. Because He wanted the people to be guided. So He forced them to accept it. And again, I go back to my point that what are we waiting for? You know, I get sad and disappointed when I see that almost every other recitation class, we are being encouraged to recite the Qur'an. Recite the Qur'an. I mean, the recitation class is for what purpose? For what purpose? Just to listen and just to look at the Qur'an? Is that the purpose? Come on, answer me. What's the purpose? To recite the Qur'an. So if we're not reciting at that time, when are we going to recite? When are we going to recite? Think about it. If we don't learn how to recite the Qur'an, if we don't recite the Qur'an enough, then what excuse do we have before Allah on the Day of Judgment? What excuse do we have? No excuse is going to work over there. So when we are being given the chance to study the Book of Allah, then how should we do it? خُذُوا مَا أَتَيْنَاكُمْ بِقُوَّةِ With strength. وَذْكُرُوا مَا فِيهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Let's listen to the recitation. فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ وَرِثُوا الْكِتَابَ يَأْخُذُونَ عَرَضَ هَذَا الْأَدْنَى وَيَقُولُونَ سَيُغْفَرُ لَنَا يَأْخُذُونَ عَرَضَ هَذَا الْأَدْنَى وَيَقُولُونَ سَيُغْفَرُ لَنَا وَإِن يَأْتِهِمْ عَرَضٌ مِثْلُهُ يَأْخُذُوهُ أَلَمْ يُؤْخَذْ عَلَيْهِمْ مِيثَاقُ الْكِتَابِ أَلَّا يَقُولُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْحَقَّ وَدَرَسُوا مَا فِيهِ وَالدَّارُ الْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لِلَّذِينَ يَتَّقُونَ أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ وَالَّذِينَ يُمَسِّكُونَ بِالْكِتَابِ وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ إِنَّا لَا نُضِيعُ أَجْرَ الْمُصْلِحِينَ وَإِذْ نَتَقْنَا الْجَبَلَ فَوْقَهُمْ كَأَنَّهُ ظُلَّةٌ وَظَنُّوا وَظَنُّوا أَنَّهُ وَاقِعٌ بِهِمْ خُذُوا مَا آتَيْنَاكُمْ بِقُوَّةٍ وَاذْكُرُوا مَا فِيهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ